Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, the kids have bulletins. There's pens back there. Uh, yeah, I am just back from camp. I don't think I'll need to sit down, but I might need water. So I'm going to leave that right there. Uh, I did find out we have the best kids on the district, so well done, parents. <laughs> yeah, that was real. Uh, I am going to need the kids today, too. We're going to see, uh, see what was retained. So Dane, Gwen, Maymay, uh, be ready. I got a question for you in the middle of this. Uh, today's first reading, actually, uh, will not be Romans. It's going to be a little unusual. It's coming from a book called Wisdom of Solomon. So if you're on your phone, like scrolling your app, if you grabbed a chair back Bible, uh, good luck looking for that. Uh, it's not going to be there, actually. But it will be up in our service notes. And the reason it's not there is because this text is not from the 66 books that make up the Protestant canon. Uh, it used to be there, but it was removed in the 1800s. Uh, it does still remain in the Greek translation of the Bible, the Septuagint. Uh, it is in the Roman canon. It is used in Orthodox Christianity. It is the recommended reading for today. So there we go. Uh, just a note about the verses that we are going to read, though. Uh, the implied author is Solomon, uh, King Solomon. Uh, it's not, actually. Uh, the implied audience was probably um, Greek-speaking people of the time, um, the rulers, in fact, rulers of the earth. Not really. Uh, later research shows that the real author is probably a Greek-speaking Jew. The real uh, audience, actually, was probably more likely young Jews who were at risk of turning from their Jewish heritage and toward pagan materialism. So in other words, this teaching, this encouragement was meant for people who are slipping away from like a once strong faith practice and toward more worldly living. So however it came to us, based on that, I do think that this reading has something for a modern and local audience. But to qualify it further, I'm going to offer this note, which was from Solomon. All wisdom comes from the Lord. So do common sense and understanding. God gives helpful advice to everyone who obeys him and protects those who live as they should. And that's Proverbs 2, 6 and 7. So with that, here is our first reading, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 12. There is no God besides you whose care is for all people to whom you should prove that you have not judged unjustly. For your strength is the source of righteousness and your sovereignty over all causes you to spare all. For you show your strength when people doubt the completeness of your power and you rebuke any insolence among those who know it. Although you are sovereign in strength, you judge with mildness and with great forbearance you govern us, for you have, the power, you have power to act whenever you choose. Through such works, you have taught your people that the, right, that the righteous must be kind, and you have filled your children with good hope. 
because you give repentance for sins. Now, here's what I think are the highlights of that passage. Uh, First of all, there is no one comparable to our one God. Uh, Number two, God is just and righteous and powerful. Number three, although he's sovereign, God reigns with gentleness and patience. Uh, We can throw them on the screen if you find them. Number four, because of God's character, kindness and righteousness are likewise expected of God's people. And last, God's people have reason to hope. Now, with all that, and knowing where it comes from, what I think is just really fascinating about this reading is this author's Old Testament, pre-Jesus point of view concerning God. Like This author identifies the true heart of God, which was so often obscured in the history of people who very often interpreted harm and violence and calamities to the work of God's angry hand. But wisdom here contradicts that view and it really underscores the goodness of God. Like this writer saw in advance the same heart which would be revealed fully in the person of Jesus. So with that, and importantly, this author then points to the true cause of chaos and wrongdoing in the world, which was and is sin. Ongoing, willful sins of the world that act against human kindness, gentleness, and righteousness, and of course, the will of God. So that's where this wisdom and today's second reading join forces. So roughly a hundred years after wisdom of Solomon was recorded, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Christ-following church in Rome. And like that previous author, Paul was writing to people of faith who were working out their faith practices and the direction that their daily lives might take. So let me read this from Romans, and then we'll circle back to the bits. Brothers and sisters, we have a duty. Our duty is not to live under the power of sin. If you live under the power of sin, you will die. But by the Spirit's power, you can put to death the sins you commit, then you will live. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves. Otherwise, you would live in fear again. Instead, the Holy Spirit you received made you God's adopted child. By the Spirit's power, we call God Abba. Abba means Father. The Spirit himself joins with our spirits. Together, they tell us that we are God's children. As his children, we will receive all that he has for us. We will share what Christ receives, but we must share in his sufferings if we want to share in his glory. What we are suffering now is nothing compared with our future glory. Everything God created looks forward to the future. 
That will be the time when his children appear in their full and final glory. The created world was held back from fulfilling its promise, but this was not the result of its own choice. It was planned that way by the one who held it back. God planned to set the created world free. He didn't want it to rot away. Instead, God wanted it to have the same freedom and glory that his children have. We know that all God created has been groaning. It is in pain as if it were giving birth to a child. The created world continues to groan even now. And that's not all. We have the Holy Spirit as the promise of future blessing. But we also groan inside ourselves. We do this as we look forward to the time when God adopts us as full members of his family. Then he will give us everything he has for us. He will raise our bodies and give glory to them. That's the hope we had when we were saved. But hope that can be seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We hope for what we don't yet have. So we are patient as we wait for it. Now, before I go further, I want to point out that today I chose to use the common English version of the Proverbs that I read at the beginning, and then this is from the New International Reader's Version. Now, versions are not the same as a direct translation of the original text, but honestly, I read this passage eight different ways, and this plain speech is like actually what I needed. So if you want a challenge later, like you can just change up your app preferences. You can read it in some hardcore translation and then just send me your really intelligent notes on that and we can have a chat later. Uh, but now about this Romans, um, just a little context might be helpful because we're kind of just dropped right in the middle of the chapter, uh, middle of the book. So I'm going to use an outline that I grabbed from Bible Project, and hopefully that'll get us up to speed a little bit. So we're in chapter 8, but back in chapter 7, and then through this whole letter to the Romans, Paul is writing, as I said, to believers that are an established community of faith. And here he's addressing this, um, the fact, the point that the Old Testament laws are still in place, and yet the Christ followers are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So they've got this question like, what about the law? What about grace? What do we do with the fact that these are existing in tandem? So Paul explains that, yeah, Israel had 10 commandments, and they had another 600-plus laws to guide their behavior as a holy nation, that they'd been set apart to be exemplary in the world and to draw the world into love and the liberation that God had shown them and that they were going to do it in this law-abiding manner. Problem. Israel failed, if you can believe it, to keep over 600 laws. So, as a result, these laws that are meant to guide the people pointed instead to their guilt, which sent them back to the law, which they broke, which condemned them again, and that cycle repeated. So we've got the law, we break the law, we turn to the law, we're under the guilt of the law, we try to follow the law, we're condemned by the law, we go back to the law. And they have come to Paul saying, what then do we do? Enter Jesus and move forward to this Romans chapter 8. 
So now Paul is explaining that the children of God, and by that he now meant all Christ followers. So not just a single nation, but Jews and Gentiles together. So all Christ followers have an obligation, he's saying, and here's where I need the kids. So Gwen, Maymay, and Dane. If I were to say to you, behold, Ooh. Repent and believe. Uh, what then does it mean to repent? Um, to turn around and look at and go the other way. Turn from sin and go the other way to God. Well done, well done. Thank you, uh, Pastor Dennis Bentley, for a uh, solid methodology. So, yes, they are meant to turn from their sin and go a new way. But then there's a key to that, too. This people, this group, these Christ followers have been empowered to repent by the Spirit of God that lives and breathes in them and through them. That's new. So let me go through these truths that were conveyed by this church then to Paul. And the first one focuses on grace. The sanctifying grace of God has broken the bondage to sin that once plagued every person in a broken world. So that's that by grace we've been saved through faith. The second part focuses on choice. Paul says, devoted Christians have the spiritual capacity to choose righteousness over and over again. We have that choice. Every time we're faced with a situation, we know the ways of Christ, and we can choose to follow that. The third focuses then on Christ. The truly faithful, implies Paul, can act justly and love mercy and walk humbly because they are redeemed. They have been made new in the likeness of Christ. And the fourth focuses on the Spirit. The adopted children of God, who know the God of creation intimately as Abba, Father, they are united with him in a shared spirit, and they operate out of that spirit, like an internal filter that chooses goodness all the time. That is spirit-enabled. And the last is goodness. Those ones those goodness-choosing followers who are consistently on their game. They are the change agents of Paul's age and our age. Collectively, Christ followers exercising choices that are inherently and universally righteous point to the God of hope for all of creation. Now, I know that there are nice people doing decent things every day who have no faith in Christ. And I don't discount their contributions to a better society. I'm glad for their efforts. But I'll say this. I don't think that subjective and dissociated random acts of kindness have staying power or objective righteousness. 
So yes, please do good. But I think Paul was saying, and I absolutely agree, practice legendary goodness according to a codified gold standard for the maximum global effect and with the power of Christ to support and sustain that in community with him and with others. Israel was tasked as a nation to be light to the world. The adopted children of Abba were no less an organized collective. It's like us, purposed and unified in diversity. And so Paul was back there explaining to the Roman believers that they were freed from the guilt and the penalty cycle of the 600 laws, and they were free to act on the two commands that sum up all of the law and the prophets. And that's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Creation was groaning, Paul said, for a time when the people of God would be so on that mission of love that the way of Christ would be known universally and renewal would be widely experienced. Until then, though, Paul warned that humans and the earth itself would continue to experience the agony of unfulfilled expectations. Every living thing would be touched by the ravages of self-preferments and haphazard, just impermanent fixes. But that groaning that Paul warned about was not without a glimmer of hopefulness. Now, I suspect that most of the, say, birth mothers here uh, know a little something about the pain that accompanies pregnancy. But they would probably agree that that pain is born in them because expectation and hope in the outcome just far outweighs what's fleeting in the flesh. They'd also agree that Paul knew nothing about labor pain. (laughs) But that metaphor holds because the life cycle is a concept that is deeply human, and it's just utterly hope-filled. So then Paul carried that theme further. He connected birth to rebirth, to the people of God being made new, to creation itself experiencing the glorious outcome of actual, global, godly goodness being practiced everywhere. And that picture of glory is layered. It's being presented in Paul's day, counts in our day, and he's talking about the next age. In Paul's present, he starts like this, by the Spirit's power, you can put to death the sins you commit, and then you will live that's our immediate hope also. Because the Spirit of God sanctifies believers, cleanses our hearts and minds from unrighteousness, and speaks into our choices, we have every hope of being a people group that loves well 
and changes the world together. And then at the end of time, Paul continues, oh, there's a future blessing as well. Then God will give us everything he has for us. He will raise our bodies and give glory to them. That's the hope we had when we were saved. But can I say this about that? Don't fixate on the future. Every believer is saved to live fully in the present. This is our day and time. The historic pain of the world is being perpetuated by unrelenting forces of chaos and evil that thrive when sin is not acknowledged and when its purveyors are unrepentant. But for that reason, believers need to live righteously now to act against the troubles in creation. So Paul called out those believers 2,000 years ago. He hyped the church in Rome to go after righteousness as a counter-cultural revolution, saying, put to death the sins you commit, then you will live, he said. And remember, wisdom recommended the same course well before that. You, God, have taught your people that the righteous must be kind, and you have filled your children with good hope because you give repentance for sins. Today, I would say that these ancient lessons speak to the local church and its listeners. If we are believers here, we have seen Christ through the, revel uh, the revelation of his word, by the work in his world, through his followers. Jesus commanded us to love he taught us to be kind. He redeemed us from, his, from our sins. And he granted us his own spirit by which we might patiently persevere in the mission until all renewal is complete. He is the gold standard for righteousness. And he has made a way for kindness and mercy to flow through us for the sake of the world. So let me ask this. Will you join his good work toward humanity and creation? Will you permit the spirit of God in Christ to sanctify your spirit so that you will be free to act in godly love? Will you live liberated from sin and walk in righteous relationships with God and your neighbors? I want to let that hang there. I want to let that work in us. So as we close today, I'll ask Andy to put on a bit of music and I'll ask us to sit with ourselves, begin to practice the silence and even the discomfort maybe of hard questions. So if we would sit, maybe eyes down, listen to the cries of our hearts I have a couple suggestions for prayer if you are a believer but you've not yet taken steps to join Christ's work in the world and you feel those pangs of hesitation maybe pray for courage right now to act on godly impulses going forward 
to join his great love. Or maybe if you've resisted the spirit of Christ, maybe pray for release. Shake off the shackles of self-centered control and embrace the freedom to act with selfless, rewarding abandon. Or if you're not yet free from the chains of the world or the, the pull of other gods, pray for liberation, which is made possible in Christ who overcame sin and death, permitting us to live with every good hope. Or if your faith is fired up and your spirit is unified with Christ, pray for a powerful journey and give thanks that you're yoked up with Jesus. Whatever your situation is, I hope that you will take this moment to pray for yourself and then others. Some will wait a moment. We'll sit with you. And then I'll read the benediction. You'll be free to stay or pray longer as you choose. set your time for you, so as I said, feel free to stay. Um, For those heading out, rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another. Feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen. And you are dismissed and you are free to stay.